0: future or to the past, to a time when thought is free, when men are different from one another and do not live alone, to when truth exists and what is done cannot be undone. From the age of uniformity, from the age of solitude, from the age of big brother, from the age of double thing, Every record has been destroyed or falsified, every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed, every date has been altered, and the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped, nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. The essential act of the party is to use conscious deception while retaining the firmness of purpose that goes with complete honesty. Life, if you looked about you, bore no resemblance, not only to the lies that streamed out of the telescreens, but even to the ideals that the party was trying to achieve. Today is May 2nd, 2022. Out of Canada, I'm the host of system failure, Peter Zander. You're listening to another edition of the weekly New World Debrief. The town square is taking another beating this week as Elon Musk's ties to China come under scrutiny by the New York Times, who also gave Tucker Carlson a three-piece whiplashing this weekend. Deputy Prime Minister of Canada Chrystia Freeland's ties to the World Economic Forum come under scrutiny as the Freedom of Information offices in our own government are showing to be problematic. The Biden administration has sanctioned the Department of Homeland Security to create a board of disinformation. To end on a fun note, I'm going to talk about the metaverse just a bit. Meta's stock lost 20% of its value over the last quarter, as NFT company Ape has one of its biggest launches yet. Why is this? They're selling plots in the metaverse. We'll get into that. The public faith in traditional institutions is at an all-time low as there's dissonance between the dreams of oligarchs and those they are attempting to subjugate, as more of us are clearly just checking out. Will more of us build our future together or allow these people to build it for us? Let's dissect this current paradigm together. In our first story, Elon Musk continues to be the center of controversy. He's being hailed as some sort of savior of free speech and even of humanity, by many conservative or independent thought leaders and influencers. Most notable among these ranks are Tim Pool, Glenn Beck, Dave Rubin, and Tucker Carlson. It somehow is lost on them that he is part of the futurist class, those that view humanity as either adaptable or extinctable. They forget he has military DARPA contracts, DARPA standing for Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, the research arm of the U.S. military. DARPA has tagged along for the development of the Boring Tunnels, launching surveillance satellites with SpaceX, and even advanced neural mapping through Neuralink. He's a billionaire, and I have the principle that you can't be a billionaire and a good person at the same time. This is true in Elon's case. While complaining about draconian Californian lockdowns, he stayed silent while his plan in Shanghai closed with the rest of the city. Often silent on the issues of human rights in China, it's time he starts answering some hard questions about human rights around the world. First question, would he sign a digital constitution to allow sovereignty of consciousness and expression for every individual? This is what I hope to see in my lifetime. Number two, is he willing to take a hard stance on China? If not closing business within, how will he reform the culture around workers' rights and human rights within the region? Is he willing to take a stance on the World Economic Forum publicly? Or like Pierre Polivre with his own connections, is he just a wolf in sheep's clothing? When Elon Musk opened a Tesla factory in Shanghai in 2019, the Chinese government welcomed him with billions of dollars worth of cheap land, loans, tax breaks, and subsidies. I really think China is the future, Mr. Musk cheered. Tesla's road since then has been quite lucrative, with a quarter of the company's revenue in 2021 coming from China, but not without problems. The firm faced a consumer and regulatory revolt in China last year over manufacturing flaws. With his deal to take over Twitter, Mr. Musk's ties to China are about to get even more fraught. Like all foreign investors in China, he operates Tesla at the pleasure of the Chinese authorities, who have shown a willingness to influence or punish companies that cross political red lines. Even Apple, the world's most valuable company, has given in to Chinese demands, including censoring his App Store. This goes for uh, Google as well, who went as far as to develop a completely dummy sister algorithm to its own search engine for um, the Chinese government to censor its results as it deemed fit by threat of them just ripping it off altogether. Mr. Musk's extensive investments in China could be at risk if Twitter upsets, upsets the Communist Party state, which has been the platform at home but used it extensively to push Beijing's foreign policy around the globe, often with false or misleading information. At the same time, China now has a sympathetic investor who is taking control of one of the world's most influential megaphones. Mr. Musk said nothing publicly. Mr. Musk, Mr. Musk said nothing publicly. For example, when the authorities in Shanghai shut down Tesla's plant as part of the citywide effort to control the latest COVID-19 outbreak, even after lambasting officials in Alameda County, California for a similar step when the pandemic began in 2020. It's concerning to think about what could be a conflict of interest in these situations, looking at disinformation that could come out of China, said Jessica Maddox, an assistant professor of digital media technology at the University of Alabama. How would he, as now an owner of this company, handle that since all of his investments are tied up there, or at least most of them? Even Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, one of Mr. Musk's biggest rivals in tech, space, and now media, weighed in on Twitter to question China's potential sway over the platform. Quote, did the Chinese government just gain a bit of leverage over the town square? End quote, Mr. Bezos wrote. Mr. Musk has not detailed plans for changing Twitter except to promise to free it up as a platform for free speech, while banning bots and artificial accounts that uh, populate its user base. Even that simple pledge on bots could irk China's propagandists, who have openly bought fake accounts and used them to undercut claims of human rights abuses in Xinjiang. It is not clear whether he intends to restore accounts or remove labels that identify some of Beijing's most prominent users as state officials. Mr. Musk did not respond to an email request and comment. A spokeswoman for Twitter declined to comment. What is clear is that China recognizes Twitter's ability to spread information. The government banned Twitter in 2009 amid ethnic riots between Muslims and Han Chinese in Urumqi, the capital of Xinjiang, the western region where the government later started a mass detention and re-education campaign that the United States has declared a genocide. Despite the ban, China stepped up its own efforts to use the platform to extend the country's sway overseas. Those moves intensified in 2019 when images of pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong spread across the global internet. China's state media pushed back with tactics often reserved for its domestic audiences, accusing the central intelligence agency of orchestrating the protests and repeatedly broadcasting lurid videos of protester violence while ignoring police brutality against the against the crowds. A growing chorus of Chinese diplomats, many fresh to Twitter began to echo the harsh tone of the state media, shouting down critics and pointedly attacking countries that offered encouragement. Described as wolf warriors after a popular nationalist movie, these officials received support from a murky mass of bot-like accounts. By the end of 2019, Twitter had identified and taken down many of the accounts. Facebook and YouTube followed with purges of their own. Undaunted, China's government redoubled its efforts when the coronavirus pandemic began. Many of the diplomats and state media representatives used Twitter to spread conspiracy theories, arguing that the coronavirus had been released from a U.S. bioweapons laboratory and calling into question the safety of mRNA vaccines. Both statements that should not be considered, quote, misinformation, but uh, I think genuine questions that I still haven't seen an answer to. Anyways. Since then, inauthentic networks of bots posting alongside diplomats and state media have spread videos disputing human rights violations in Xinjiang, downplaying the disappearance of Peng Shuai, the Chinese professional tennis player who accused a top Chinese official of sexual assault, and buffing the success of the Winter Olympics in Beijing this year. Through it all, Twitter has released reports on the networks, often with the help of cybersecurity experts who have linked them to China's government or the Chinese Communist Party. The company was one of the first to label government-backed accounts, and more recently links to government media as China state-affiliated. Even with the knowledge of China's techniques, Twitter has found it hard to stop the country's information campaigns," said Darren Linville, a professor at Clemson University who studies social media disinformation. It doesn't matter if an individual account or even thousands of accounts are suspended, he said in a written response. They create more at an astounding rate, and by the time the account is suspended, which is often very quickly, the account has already done its job. A lot of disinformation, like what Russia has done, is about creating or amplifying narratives. A lot of them, Chinese disinformation is about suppressing them, he added. As Twitter's new owner, Elon may well face Chinese pressure on other issues as well. They include not only demands from the authorities to censor information online even outside China's Great Firewall descriptions of Taiwan as anything but a province of China, for example, but also the arrests of Twitter users in China. In China, Elon's takeover has raised fears that officials will have even more levers to censor their critics, some of whom use technology to get around the Twitter ban. Morong Zhukun, a well-known author was questioned for four hours by the police in 2019 for two two tweets he had posted three years earlier. One showed a clearly photoshopped image of a naked Xi Jinping, China's top leader, on a wrecking ball. The other was a cartoon showing Mr. Xi gunning down Santa's reindeer from the sky. I think the Chinese government will be happy that he bought Twitter, Mr. Murong said, and in the days to come, the government will use his business in China to pressure him, to control Twitter and help censor those who criticize the Communist Party and China's government. Privately, he said, he and his friends called the harassment of Twitter users inside China the complete Twitter cleanup. Mr. Morong estimated that the police had questioned tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people about their posts in recent years. I wonder if this is something we're going to get to see with the uh, Disinformation Board anyways the punitive campaign and the growing number of chinese officials on twitter show the government cares deeply about what is said on foreign social media he said describing officials efforts as an attempt to carry out public opinion and ideological wars abroad again this just playing into the fact that we are in the middle of fifth generational warfare with china this government has done many similar things and will not stop in the future he said I don't know how Musk will deal with this pressure, but looking at his attitude toward China, I think it might turn into a big Chinese censorship machine. Big Chinese censorship machine. Wow, See that five times fast. A spokesman for China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Wang Wenbin, brushed aside questions on Tuesday about Twitter and Elon's investments in the country. I can tell you are very good at speculating, but without any basis, he replied to one question. Even Mr. Bezos amended his post about China's potential leverage over Twitter to suggest that Elon Musk could definitely strike a balance. Musk is extremely good at navigating this kind of complexity, he wrote. Even so, one likely result of Elon's takeover will be less transparency. As a publicly traded company, Twitter was beholden to shareholder pressure when concerns about disinformation, account bans, and rule enforcement affected its share price. That, in turn, forced the platform to explain its policies for countering information campaigns, like those are re- originating in China. Now, I just wanted to put in a sidebar that um, a lot of Twitter's old shareholders were BlackRock and Vanguard, as well as proxy shell companies from BlackRock and Vanguard that had a ton of power in these companies that sort of told them what narratives could be allowed and uh, what wouldn't be allowed you know what sort of things would be political politically beneficial and what wouldn't so um i think we're sort of seeing that backlash to that now when they talk about twitter being a private company anyways with elon planning to take the company private there is less prerogative to respond to such inquiries even if I just take him at what he says, his idea about Twitter as an aspirational tool to help drive more democratic, pro-democratic reforms here and abroad. He's basically created a backdoor for China to come in and manipulate the very thing that he has heralded as a strong defense of free speech. Now, this is a claim that is kind of out of left field. How is he saying that, like, automatically he's not going to allow democratic um discussions and he's automatically going to include a backdoor for China. I don't think any of this was implied by Elon Musk, so take this with a grain of salt. Western society has had major issues electing competent leaders as of late. As Elon is even less elected, I think it is important to ask ourselves how much power we will continue to choose to give these people. In a deeper look on China for the week, I just want to bring up a quick story out of Australia. Australia has been seeing tensions between ultra-nationalist Chinese and pro-democracy pro-Uyghur rights activists in recent years. At the forefront of this battle is young 20-year-old Danny Pavlo, a fervent human rights and democracy activist. Exposing the coziness that Brisbane University had with the Chinese government, a couple of years ago he organized a pro-democracy Hong Kong rally on the campus where it was met with violence from pro-Chinese regime totalitarian supporters. This time, he was in Sydney's Eastwood neighborhood at a shopping center, sparking more outrage and controversy. His only crime was holding up a sign saying F Xi Jinping. Eastwood has one of the highest Chinese populations in Sydney and Mr. Pavlov's action caused an incendiary reaction. It only took seconds for many stunned shoppers and stallholders to vent their fury at him over the sign. Mr. Pavlo posted footage of the clash on Facebook, showing him surrounded by angry stallholders at the Asian market, yelling abuse at him. F you, mother effer, screamed one at him repeatedly. It's, it's free speech. Okay. Another punches the sign and tells him, America has genocide, not Xi Jinping. And several women call the man a coward and tell him to F off as he stands in the street with his hands behind his back in the face of the abuse. He tells the crowd he's not a coward and does not threaten anyone, and invites them to hit him while his hands are behind his back. Police eventually restored calm after they intervened to keep the sides apart. He was told by his opposition that his speech was, quote, inciting. This is a problem when we get, we get to when speech becomes violence, even speech criticizing a foreign dictator. We are clearly seeing more and more political lines drawn over this issue, especially from China. The government told their citizens that certain speech is violence as well, and we see how this empowers a sort of jingoism and loyalty to the regime and the narrative in an almost fervent and cult-like fashion. I hope and pray every day for the free minds and hearts of the Chinese people, as well as our own. In our next story, the Trudeau regime shows no signs of increasing transparency. In a couple of FOIA requests from Rebel News regarding subjects previously considered conspiracy, both Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland's ties to the World Economic Forum, and the documents of transport for level 4 research substances, Hennepa virus, and Ebola, which were moved from the Winnipeg Microbiology Lab to the infamous Wuhan Lab of Virology in the fall of 2019, after it was brought up in a conservative inquiry in the House of Commons earlier this year. For both of these requests, instead of outright denying their existence, the Privy Council of Canada responded to the Freeland inquiry from Rebel News with initiating a quote consultation process. According to Sheila gunn at Rebel News, they went even further regarding the Public Health Agency document from RebelNews.com. The requested document that the omitted election or the omitted deletion by the agency confirms the existence of was from the Public Health Agency of Canada, managers to staff regarding media coverage of the firings of two Chinese scientists at the High Security National Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg three years ago. Staffers at the PHAC were sent a note about Winnipeg Free Press's coverage of the stripping of high-level security clearance and subsequent firings of two scientists after the transfer of Ebola and Hennepa viruses from the lab in Winnipeg to Wuhan in 2019. Story which was first broken by Rebel News, Prime Minister Trudeau granted nearly $900,000 to the lab in April 2020 to research the virus. Wuhan Institute of Virology has been incredibly accused of being ground zero of the coronavirus pandemic. According, according to a CBC report, One of the scientists escorted from the lab in Winnipeg amid an RCMP investigation last July was responsible for exporting the pathogens to the Wuhan Institute of Virology four months earlier. Dr. Zhang Ku, her husband, Keding Chang, and her students from China were removed from Canada's only Level 4 lab over what's described as a possible policy breach. The Public Health Agency of Canada had asked the RCMP to get involved several months earlier. Rebel News filed for access to the note as correspondence available for release under Canada's privacy and information laws. However, the note was from deleted from the government servers instead of being released with personal information redacted, which is the normal practice. This is not the first instance of the PHAC stonewalling an investigation into the details of the firings of the Winnipeg Lab. Opposition parties have been battling for the release of unredacted documents related to the terminations and subsequent police investigation to the House of Commons House of Commons Canada China Relations Committee for months with no success. Upon further investigation, Infinite Eyes has discovered the Freedom of Information offices on behalf of Canada's Privy Council are severely understaffed. There are currently no more than a dozen staff to manage every department's information requests that are seeing a 10-month backlog, at least, according to sources. Infinite Eyes News will continue to observe this story as it fits into wider Canada-China relations. Last but not least, the Biden administration is having its name joined among the ranks of Lenin, Mao, Goebbels, and Hitler in sanctioning the Department of Homeland Security's new disinformation board. From Heiston Willis at the Washington Examiner, it was that the Biden administration's Department of Homeland Security had formed a disinformation governance board, was met with swift backlash from conservatives and free speech advocates worried about how the board will function and how it comports with the First, First Amendment. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas mentioned the board Wednesday during a hearing before the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Homeland Security. Saying his department had just recently constituted the board, but the disinformation entity's name and mission set off red flags over potential free speech violations. The Biden disinformation chief is a was a Trump dossier author fan and a Hunter doubt, Hunter Biden laptop doubter. The federal government is supposed to not impede free speech, and that's exactly what this board is going to do," said Laura Reese, a former DHS deputy. Chief of Staff, and Director of the Heritage Foundation's Border Security and Immigration Center. It's not at all part of the mission of the Department of Homeland Security. Critics swiftly compared the board to the Ministry of Truth in George Orwell's dystopian novel, 1984. One of the key concerns is who will decide what constitutes disinformation. On this measure, the disinformation board attracted additional scrutiny. Nina Jankowicz... Jankowicz? Jankowicz... Jank, Jank, Nina, Jank, Nina Jank, who was the disinformation fellow at the Wilson Center and advisor to the Ukrainian Foreign Ministry as part of the Fulbright Public Fol- Policy Fellowship, confirmed Wednesday that she had been named executive director of the board. However, Jankowitz has a theory of sharing misleading claims about British ex-spy Christopher Steele's discredited Trump dossier and downplaying the controversy and broiling Hunter Biden. When pressed by a reporter about the situation, White House Press Secretary Jen Saki said Thursday that she needed to learn more about it, but defended the board's mission. It sounds like the objective of the board is to prevent disinformation and misinformation from traveling around the country in a range of communities, Saki said. I'm not sure who opposes that effort. The White House supports the disinformation board, Saki added, citing disinformation that has circulated about COVID-19 and elections. On Friday, the White House said the disinformation board is a continuation of a Trump-era initiative. The elections issue came up during Mayorkas' congressional hearing as well. Illinois Democratic Representative Lauren Underwood cited misinformation as a possible contributor to election outcomes that could be addressed. A newer trend that we saw in the 2020 election and already in the 2022 midterms is that disinformation is being heavily targeted at Spanish-speaking voters, sparking and fueling conspiracy theories, Underwood said to Mayorkas. DHS and its components play a big role in addressing myths and disinformation in Spanish and other languages. Such concerns raise further red flags, argued Reese. It's revealing that they're concerned about the election and Spanish-speaking voters, she said. I think that kind of gives away their game. At this point, it isn't clear exactly how the board will function or how it will combat misinformation. DHS has not issued a press release about the board, and a search for Disinformation Governance Board on the department's website turns up no results. The Washington Examiner has reached out to DHS seeking more details about the disinformation initiative. Ironically, the board's scattershot public unveiling may be contributing to the sort of false narratives it purportedly exists to correct, says Cato Institute policy analyst Will Duffield. The launch has been terrible, he said. The launch of this thing has already created more disinformation or led to it than the board will ever be able to combat. The lack of clear information about the board's role and purpose could lead people to assume the worst." Depending on how the board functions, it could be a useful tool to coordinate messaging across the many missions of DHS, absent more information that is yet to be seen. Frankly, I'm skeptical that this thing has any reach at all and isn't just a paper shuffling exercise, said Duffield, but again, we don't really know. it to the Ministry of Truth from 1984, more often than I can count, its potential threat to freedom and flow of information and collective awareness should not be discounted nor its threat to freedom of the press. Perhaps there is something to be said for the comparison, as Orwell is all too fresh in many of our minds. Let's just think about what this says about who we are as a people and as a society. We have seen that many of us trust too much the information placed in front of us, and some of us not nearly enough. This, I believe, is a consequence of many generations of not teaching critical thought, and allowing what feeds the minds and hearts of the people to be swayed with money or another agenda instead of pure knowledge and enlightenment. Mixed with group and mob mentality and the fact that none of our institutions truly speak truth to power or challenge the status quo, this is a recipe for confusion to the casual observer, often capitulating pure knowledge for an echo chamber. Now, speech is violence and disinformation is a threat to national security so is the answer to let these same people that have gotten some major narratives wrong in fact completely fabricated other narratives like trump's uh, tower's connection to the russian bank or COVID injured or originated in the wet market dictate narrative for me i take no media as authoritative but one voice of one aspect of one society that wants me to think, think one thing i try to take as much information in as possible Challenge it against itself, and see what sticks. If you can win a debate on the other's terms with the other sources, there leaves no room for dissonance or excuse. In our last story, Meta faces some rough waters as it loses 21% of its entire market cap in one quarter. This comes over renewed motivation for the EU to implement new content moderation regulations, even some countries pushing for an outright ban on the Meta platform, formerly Facebook. Zuckerberg, in my opinion, took a big gamble in wanting to be the flagship of new technologies at a time where existing skepticism towards social media is just progressing. However, there could be some new players in the game. Is there blood in the water or is it just oil? From futurism.com Bored Apes' new drop was so popular that it crashed the entire Ethereum blockchain. Smell that? It's blood in the water funny you'd think buyers would be at least a little skeptical of sinking thousands into an asset class a hacker stole millions worth of in a scam literally just last week but then little seems to make sense in the nft community these days despite last week's news that hackers stole at least 13.7 million dollars worth of board 8 yacht club nfts interest was so high in the latest board ape drop that the entire Ethereum blockchain, a sort of online crypto auction house, crashed temporarily. CNET reported earlier today that Bored Ape is creating a multiverse called Other Side, working with Yuga Labs on development. They launched a new NFT collection and the sale of 100,000 land deeds for plots in the upcoming virtual world. That's basically half of the estimated total of 200,000 plots of land the world will ever have. It's kind of wild to see so many happily march down the same path Beanie Babies did back in the 90s. Overinflated prices of an ultimately worthless asset class popped because of oversaturation, fakes, and plain lack of imagination. It's hard to see how crypto on the blockchain, assets rife with scandal, scams, and environmental destruction, according to futurism, that don't even have a physical avatar, could ever be much more successful long term. It's really a question of who will be left holding the buck when the market inevitably crashes. And right now the complaints are rolling in, not from billionaires and millionaires, but from everyday folk who can't seem to smell all that blood in the water. As we navigate another week of this fogged change, let us weigh the importance of truth in our lives and how to recognize it. Let's take a look at the values our society places on things and the way it's allowing for its technology to evolve. Right now, All it's good for is buying JPEGs, making relationships with AI, and developing Tourette's on TikTok. Maybe we can develop a bit of a healthier relationship. That's it for now. Thanks for another week of the New World Debrief as an Infinite Eyes production. I'm your host, Peter Zander. Over and out.